You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, and welcome to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trekked from the early days on NBC and to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. My name is Alan, and my fecal matter is back to being oily and white. Now, to explain that, of course, you know, if you're regulars, that everyone or every week, Chuck does the introduction and he introduces you know, the co-hosts and Keith and I always respond with some funny line from the episode we're reviewing. And even though there's nobody here to introduce me, there was a line that was just too good and I could not let it pass. So I had to do it. Um, so yeah, I am doing a solo mission this week because my co-hosts have been kidnapped by Klingons. So I, I'm on a mission to rescue them from the evil Klingons. Well, I, you know, and I guess they're not really, I mean, I guess it depends on which time frame we're talking about. They're not really evil all the time. So maybe I should say, I want to go with an alliteration. So I should say they're kidnapped by Kazon, except the Kazon are so stupid. They would never be able to kidnap anybody. So anyway, here we are on um, October 6th. And it is Star Trek Day. We have a brand new episode of Lower Decks called A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. And what an episode it was. But before we get into that, because that's spoiler territory and anybody who doesn't want to be spoiled shouldn't sit through it and watch it. We're going to do something a little different since it is all just me and... I don't know what else I would yammer on about. So it is your job to ask me anything. So I hope you have had time to prepare questions. I am waiting for them. Um, just fire away. And Daniel says, kidnapped by Cardassians. Close enough alliteration. Exactly. That makes more sense. Kazon are stupid and in a different quadrant of the galaxy. So we'll go with Kidnapped by Cardassians. All right. First question comes from Elaine. Do I have a favorite episode? Are you talking about any favorite episode from 60 years of Star Trek? Holy smokes. That's hard. Okay. I do have actually. Um, and I think it would have to be either. And I know these are sort of cliched answers. Um, but I'm going to go with either uh, In the Pale Moonlight from, of course, DS9 Season 6, or what's the other one called? Dang it, now I'm going blank on it. Um, so Pale Moonlight is definitely one. It is an amazing episode, and it's that turning point in uh, in Cisco's like, attitude toward the war, and he sort of ropes... Um, Garak into doing a shady little deal on the side over there and fantastic, fantastic episode. And the other one is like a month apart from that one. And it's far beyond the stars. And that is got to be 
the best episode of Star Trek ever made and one of the best episodes of television ever made. And I know that those are cliche answers and I've, and I've said them before. Um, but really Star Trek has never, that, that is, that is like a, like a twin peak, not to stray off into another show, a twin peak that it's a pinnacle that Star Trek has never equaled. And those, those are just two of the most spectacular uh, episodes of Star Trek ever made. All right. Great first question. Keep them coming. Matt Sweatman says, what is your earliest Star Trek memory? My earliest memory is very, very unclear. Um, and it comes from when I was a little kid in the 60s. Um, and I remember, you know, I remember knowing about Star Trek. Um, I didn't really get into it though. And the reason I think the reason is because I was very much a lost in space kid. And the reason that lost in space, well, there's a couple of reasons that lost in space uh, really drew me in one. It had a robot and Star Trek didn't have no robot. Um, I was, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with robots. So uh, the robot character on Lost in Space was really the thing that that drew me in and kept me interested. And yes, it got silly with Dr. Smith and the robot and Will in season two. And it that carried over somewhat into season three. But when I was a, you know, a little tyke, that was fine. I didn't mind that. I enjoyed it a lot. Now, as I grew, you know, I gravitated much more to um, season one and some of the really, really well-written scripts in season three. But when I was a little one, you know, uh, season two, I loved, even though it was campy and ridiculous and over the top at times and just insane. I, I loved it. The other thing that really drew me into Lost in Space that Star Trek did not have was Will Robinson. And as a kid, I was almost the same age as Billy Moomy. So here was this this boy my age who was out having these space adventures and his best friend was a robot. It was like my fantasy. It was like, this is the life that I would live if I could. So, um, so my earliest memory of Star Trek is of not really liking Star Trek. I saw bits of it, you know, and I, I don't even know if I saw a full episode and I certainly wouldn't remember what individual episode I saw bits of, you know, I mean, episodes, because there was more than one. But, you know, even though it was a space show set on a spaceship with a crew doing space stuff, it just it didn't grab me until later on in life. So that's my earliest memory, not being a Trekkie. <laughs> Matt Sweatman says, I recall seeing a Star Trek board game in the store and recognizing Spock, but wondering who was that normal looking dude next to him on the box. Yeah. And you know, that's the one thing that lost in space didn't have was an alien crew member. And so that should have drawn me into star Trek, but it just, it just, I don't know. It just didn't until later on, you know, I had, uh, I started to watch it a little bit, um, in reruns, like after school and stuff like that later on. Um, and then it wasn't until 1982 when, and I've told this story on the show before, 
82 when I had friends who basically forced me to go to see Wrath of Khan with them in the theater. Like it was a, it had just opened and we went like maybe opening weekend or whatever. And I was like, I don't want to see this. And they're like, well, you're going because we're going and you're going. And the thing that it did that, that worked for me was that it had a new character. It had Savick and Savick was the new character who had to, who was being introduced and had to figure out the Star Trek world and had to get to know all these characters. And that was exactly the situation that I was in at that time. So by the end of Wrath of Khan, I was a hundred percent sucked in and I was like, you know, crying because here's Spock and Kirk and Spock is dying. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't even like this show. How can I get this emotionally involved? But by the end of that film, I was so involved. So thank you, Savick, for helping me into the Star Trek world. Elaine has the next question and she says, do I have a favorite Star Trek series? Well, I should say like Doctor Who, I don't have a favorite doctor because I love all of the doctors. And that is absolutely the truth. Even though if I were to have to pick a favorite, it would be Colin Baker or Peter Capaldi. So I will go that route and say for Star Trek, I love every Star Trek series, every single Star Trek series. I love pretty much equally. Um, even enterprise that most people don't like as much i i love enterprise um so if you put a gun to my head and tell me to pick a favorite it's gonna have to be deep space nine and that's because deep space nine was the most intricately woven storyline it was the best developed characters it had the greatest story arcs it was just it, they built an entire world around this you know it's not a, you know, when it first started, people uh, kind of griped about it in that it's not a starship. It doesn't go anywhere. You know, if there's danger or peril, it has to come to them. They just sit back and wait. And I think that's the exact wrong attitude to have. I think that what happens with DS9 is that they have the opportunity being stationary to build a world around this crew. And the crew itself is even sort of, you know, coming from two disparate um opposing sides you have the starfleet people and you have the non-starfleet people who are working together um sometimes working together well sometimes not working together well um and i think that that is such great drama and so yes ds9 and then you get into the whole like the building dominion war stuff that well the dominion stuff which starts like season three or something is the first time that the word dominion is even mentioned and that slow build, that slow build of who is the Dominion. And then you get into season six with the Dominion War. Jesus, that is just good, good, good television. So that's that's a great question. Thanks. Um, let's see. Matt now says, do you wish that Star Trek phase two would have come to pass instead of the motion picture? Ooh, that's a good question. I have never thought of that before. Um, you know, a lot of Star Trek Next Generation season two, a lot of those early scripts were reused from phase two because they had those, you know, few phase two scripts sitting around 
And there was that whole issue with, you know, uh, the writer situation in season two. And so they reuse some of those old scripts and, you know, they're okay. So I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that when uh, phase two was happening, if that would have been the right time. You know, I don't know that television was in the place to really kind of like have that kind of show. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on at that time. And maybe it would have worked because of that. Maybe it wouldn't, though. Maybe it would have just, you know, gone by the wayside because there wasn't an audience for that sort of thing. And I think that relaunching Star Trek the way that they did on the big screen, even though it wasn't, I don't know, you know, had they relaunched with Wrath of Khan, you know, a big dramatic action movie would have been better. I don't know. But as it was, you relaunching uh, Star Trek with the motion picture and making it big and making it a special effects, you know, bonanza, I think was a really, really smart move that that eventually paid off for the rest of the franchise, for the rest of the history. So that's a very interesting question. I would never have thought of that. So I'm glad you asked that one. Okay, Tony Bowers, my buddy. He says, knowing you have studied music, who is your favorite Star Trek composer? Dang, that's a good one. And I don't have an answer. I think I could do like favorite or standout pieces. And I will say that um, I, I, I sort of have a bias toward Nami Melamud, who is the composer on Lower Decks and um, I mean, Strange New Worlds and Prodigy. I think she is amazing, but I have sort of a, a bias toward her because we had her on this show and I, we got to interview her and she's amazing. She's so cool, funny, really down to earth, but super, super talented. Um, let's see. Matt mentions Jerry Goldsmith and a hundred percent agree. And I thought that somebody mentioned Jay Chataway. I really liked a lot of what Jay Chataway did as well. Um, so I think those are going to have to be my my picks for that one. That's a great question. And that's one that I've we've been talking about, um, you know, doing that as a topic on the show at some point, like the music of Star Trek and the various composers and stuff. And I was like, I've been kind of like putting that one off because I'm like, I will never be able to decide. <laughs> so I, I that's that's where I'm going to go so far. And I'm going to have to really do some thinking about that one because we do need to do that one as a topic at some point. Elaine says that she's looking forward to watching DS9. I know we'll get there eventually. Yeah, she and Matt are working on um, the original series, which I don't think that Elaine has seen all of yet, and Enterprise, um, which she hasn't seen all of. And so they're sort of working their way chrono chronologically through both of those series, and they do like a, a live Facebook feed uh, for every episode that they watch. And it's, it's so fun. Even if you're not watching the episode with them, you can usually tell where they are by some of Elaine's comments. <laughs> They're so funny. Let's see. Matt's next question is, and thank you all so much for the questions that we've got so far. And anybody else who wants to pitch a question, please give me another one. Matt says, is there a period of Star Trek history you would like a future series to explore. I'm going to say the first thing that comes to mind. And it was one that we almost got with, um, 
with Enterprise Season 5 had it not got canceled at the end of Season 4. And that is the Romulan War. I think that would be an absolutely amazing thing to do a whole series on, you know, and set the whole thing within the war and and see how, you know, the whole thing that people sort of, you know, sometimes um, they say with DS9, you know, it kind of goes against um, um, Roddenberry's uh, values or whatever, or his vision for the show because there's conflict and there's war and he would never approve of that kind of stuff. And, um, and I don't think that's true. I think that what it, what it comes down to is that, you know, he, he's always about the human spirit and how the human spirit responds to things. And I think that you don't get any value out of that until your, your, your beliefs and your values and the things that you stand for are challenged. And I think you have to be put in a situation like the Dominion War. And if you're in that rough, that dark, that demanding a situation and you stick to your values, I think that says more about you and about human nature than anything else could. It's, it's, I don't think it's the lack of conflict that does that. I think it's the response to the conflict. So that's another one of the reasons that DS9 is my favorite show. So there you go, Elaine, another, (laughs) another plug for DS9. And my friend Hannah Mabry has asked, what are your thoughts on TNG's The Game? Well, it's a terrible episode. (laughs) Um, It's actually, no, I'm kidding. Um, But, oh, luckily she also says, DS9 was amazing because yes, it was. So the game was, you know, I don't even think I've ever watched it a second time. Um, it's interesting that it, it's, it kind of reminds me of the, the, the whole like D and D scare that was going on in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, where people were like, if you play D and D you're going to get sucked in and your mind will be erased and you will be just a a D&D zombie and you'll be, you know, you'll subtract yourself from society and you'll become a menace and blah, 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 blah. And so that episode of, of TNG, the game does exactly all of those things. And so I, I've never really thought about that before, but I wonder if, if that's a commentary on that whole, you know, situation with, early video games and with D and D and with other things that society has demonized because it was new and different and, you know, society at large didn't understand it. Um, I just wonder if, if there was some thought behind that, that's really interesting. Um, other than that, it wasn't a great episode. (laughs) So Hannah, it was nice to hear from you. Uh, Give me another question. That was a good one. Matt says, have you read much of the expanded universe material and are there any favorites? I did at the beginning, like when I first started really getting into Star Trek, which is 82. And then when um, Next Gen came along in 87, I did read um, some, and especially the early, uh, because, you know, by the time I was in Star Trek fandom, Oh, there's a good question from Hannah. Okay. So by the time I was in Star Trek Phantom in 82, there were already so many books and I was like, Oh, I'll never catch up with all that stuff. So when next gen started, I was like, I kind of jumped in on the, the floor level. Um, 
uh, with the novels and all that kind of stuff as they were coming out. So, but God, I will, I'm not even sure I can remember all of them that I read at the time. I remember there was one called, wasn't there one called masks? I don't think that's right. But anyway, I thought that one was really good, whatever, whichever one that was. I do remember that I felt like, and of course, you know, this is sort of the situation because the show was new and, you know, a lot of the novels are written early before some, most of the episodes have aired because it takes so long to write these things. And I felt like not all of the uh, character voices were really captured that well in the dialogue in the books. Um, and I remember there being one, there was a scene about, Deanna calling uh, Riker Bill and nobody else calls him Bill. And it's something about shaving cream. And I was like, this is dumb. I don't like it. Um, but there was there was one that sort of explored Tasha's background on the planet where she came from with the rape gangs and all that kind of stuff. And I, I really enjoyed that one. I thought that one that did the thing that you want novels to do to take a situation that isn't addressed on the show and um, you know, that they don't really have the opportunity to explore and to do that and to give that, give you that story. So to the best of my recollection, that's my answer. Let's see. Hannah says the Orville episode majority rule reminded me a bit of it. Okay. That's good. I, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I love that episode. That was a good one. And and I've got some other things that that one reminds me of, but it's really good. Okay. So Hannah now says, hang on. Uh, I would have loved to see a lot more done with Romulus in regards to TNG's The Defector and Post Nemesis, 100%. And in fact, um, you know, back after my D&D days, I was still very much in the role-playing world and I used to run a star trek i was involved in a star trek role-playing game for a while and then i ran a campaign for a while and my campaign started immediately after nemesis and explored that whole like romulan dynamic oh man i'm fascinated by the romulans and romulan society and i liked what picard season one did with them sort of i really want to see a lot more of that i really want to delve into that Matt says masks was the TNG novel set in season two with a society that kept their face covered. Like we wear clothing. Yeah, that's right. And I remember liking that. I just don't remember what it was about. I don't remember anything about it, but I know that I liked it. So, okay. So I've got a, an, an unidentified Facebook user who says, I'd like to find more information on the mysterious, T.O. Uh, um, original series writer, uh, Jean Lisette, something. I don't know how to pronounce that. Who wrote two great episodes, Is There in Truth No Beauty and All Our Yesterdays. Who was she? We know she was a librarian or something, but very little else. That sounds like a Michael Phillips question. I'm curious to know if that's who is the one posting that because on my end, it just comes through as Facebook user. Um, yeah, that sounds like a really interesting topic to explore. So maybe we'll have to do a deep dive on some of those lesser known uh, script writers and we should start with her and just see what we can find out about her and see if we can uncover some, you know, do some investigative journaling. That would be fun. All right. I need a couple of more questions and then we're going to jump into our, 
uh, review of this week's episode of Lower Decks, which was on Paramount Plus today. And it is once again called the Mathematical, sorry, Mathematically Perfect Redemption. Okay, Michael Phillips says, yeah, it's me. You know me so well. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> and Elaine confirms, indeed, that is a Michael Phillips question. Excellent. So thanks, Michael. It was a great question. That's really, really an interesting topic that now you've got me interested in sort of exploring as well. So we'll have to get into that. Okay, so if there's no other question then we're going to take a break here to promote one of our fellow ESO network shows. And we'll be right back with our episode review. So stay right there. Modern Musicology is a podcast covering topics on rock and pop, ranging mostly from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, with occasional excursions into the 60s and aughts even occasionally the 2010s. Anything is fair game. Classic rock, R&B, folk, punk, prog, rap, metal, and way more. With two Americans, one Brit, a ton of fun, and a healthy dose of cynicism. All right, so we are in Spoiler territory. So we are going to be reviewing this week's episode of Lower Decks. I hope everybody's had a chance to see it because we're going to talk in, in as much detail as we can about it. And it is called A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. So, okay. So the episode opens with a previously on, which we don't normally get on Lower Decks. And I'm just going to say, I did not expect. And I... I feel like it's fairly, you know, it's a fairly good prediction on my part to say that no one expected basically an entire episode devoted to peanut hamper. I mean, come on. This is what I love so much about Lower Decks is that it just, it'll do anything it wants. It will throw this kind of curveball at you and just do the most unexpected stuff. So Peanut Hamper, of course, is a character that um, is an exocomp. Um, we met in season one around for one episode. And then at the end of the episode, um, there's this there's this terrible situation. And Peanut Hamper is the only thing that can save them. And Peanut, Peanut Hamper is like, nah, I'm good. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go do my own thing. And that's where it's left off. So, um it was, you know, whoever, okay, we knew um, going into this season, just from comments that Mike McMahon made at Comic-Con and in interviews and stuff like that, that we would be seeing a return of Peanut Hamper. But nowhere would ever have guessed that you would have an entire episode, basically a solo episode with Peanut Hamper. That is nuts. But man. And okay, so it starts out with the previously on and jumps from that point directly into the new story. And then we get the uh, a total lack of our normal opening credits. It's it's this whole different scene um, set in the, the so she's sort of stranded in this battle situation with all this de ship debris and stuff like that around. And it's just scenes of that. 
that is all done in red and it's just gorgeous and beautiful. And then a completely different orchestration of the opening theme, which I absolutely loved. I thought it was so beautifully done. And let's see, Matt says it was almost a touching episode, but then lower decks pulls the rug. Yes. So you, you spend this entire episode um, with peanut hamper and it looks like she's sort of having this kind of change of heart sort of situation where living on this bird planet, um, Arior, where she's just kind of like eventually softens. She sort of comes around. She's, you know, introduced to new perspectives and her, you know, programming has changed. And it looks like it honestly is a redemption story. But no, at the end, you find out that she's just manipulating the whole situation. And man, it's so it was so well done. It was really good. Elaine says, I really enjoyed the opening credits for this episode. There is a part of the regular opening that bugs me. So this was nice. That's interesting. Now I want to know what it is that bugs you about it. And you're talking about the 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 actual credit sequence and not the music, right? So something in the in the depiction that you see in the opening credits is 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 buggy to you. That's really interesting. But yeah, I love it when a show will, you know, it's just like um, Enterprise in season four when they did the Mirror Universe thing. They did the completely different opening credits and title music, um, and I love that. This. It seems like it might be wasted in this one. Like you, like there was a, a specific reason why it happened in the Enterprise episodes, but I don't know. It was was this episode worth doing this for? I don't know. That's it. Seemed weird to me. I liked it a lot, but it still just seemed like I don't know if if pulling this trick was really something that should have happened for this episode, or you know, save it for something different, something you know, more, I don't know, more epic. I don't know, but it just seemed like a weird placement, but still really, really well done. All right. So peanut hamper finds herself on this planet called Arior or Ariolus, which is just hilarious. And the people are called the Arior, the, the bird people. And um, so it's a sort of a primitive backwoods planet and peanut hamper is like, you know, stranded and not happy about it. So as I was saying earlier, whoever expected a solo episode for Peanut Hamper, but whoever would have expected not only a solo episode, but a romantic episode and with sex scenes for Peanut Hamper. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh my gosh. Brilliant. Matt says, I think it was almost played like a different series. The Misadventures of Peanut Hamper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole thing was set up to show you that this isn't going to be an episode of lower decks. This is an episode of peanut hamper. And so basically she gets her own uh, title sequence and her own theme music and everything, even though it's the same as before, it's just done in a different way. So, I mean, in that respect, yes, it absolutely does make sense, but it still seems like it's something that, I mean, you can't pull that trick very often, you know? So I feel like they've, they've kind of shot it on this one and they're, you know, there might be a different opportunity to do this and maybe they won't take it because they've done it this once. That that's, that was my only thought. Okay. So Elaine explains, yes, just the animation for the opening. It's when the Cerritos goes down that path and then shoots out of the black hole. Yeah. 
It seems to me that they come out way too fast for the speed they went in. It's silly, I know. That's okay. There's no reason to not be silly about it. I mean, it's a silly opening anyway, so, you know, no problem. So, okay, let's get into the episode a little bit. Um, I loved... Okay, so uh, Peanut Hamper forms this relationship with uh, the the bird dude, the son of the uh, of the ruling elder, and um, his name is Rauda, which of course she calls Raw Dog, which cracks me up. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that they use this this new alien that they've introduced, and they sort of like give you that father son dynamic that whole like you know the son having to live up to the expectation of the father and the father casts this long shadow and you know the son and at least they didn't go the route of the estranged son because i hate that it's so overused but this one is him trying to live up to you know the reputation that his father has and with him about to step into the role of leader when his father passes on you know he's trying to establish himself and by the end of the episode he does do that and and i really really enjoyed that and i think that it's cool that this you know goofy little animated show is able to do these kind of things able to put these kind of dynamics in um we get a we get another, yet another role for J.G. Hertzler. And I tell you, that man, I even no matter how he tries to change his voice, I always know it's him. And I was so glad to hear him in yet another alien role. He played the um, the captain of the Drukmani. And of course, the Drukmani are from the season one episode of Lower Decks. Um, so it was nice to see them back and to see a continuation of that thing. And so peanut hamper has contacted them to say, Hey, these, these bird brains have got these like advanced ships buried underground and they don't want them. So she basically arranges this whole situation so that she can uh, position herself as a hero. She sends a distress call to Starfleet so that they can come running and they can see her. And this is, you know, it, it's it would have been hard to work out this timing so it's just coincidental that it actually works but they come running and they see her saving the day and that's her redemption arc and blah 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 but then it turns out no it isn't she has not changed one bit she's just manipulating all these people and i, I loved it i think it was such a fun episode um so put in the comments and let me know what you what you thought of the episode and what your favorite bits were and um Matt says those ships were massively powerful. I wonder if they have artifacts elsewhere in the galaxy. That's a very good question. I wonder if, you know, I, I thought it was neat to see um, some ships that were basically built on very, very different technology. And the weaponry is so different from what we are used to and from what we see on a normal basis. And um, I, I thought it was really, really cool, especially that last one that comes out, that big, massive one. Oh, man, it was so good. Elaine says, I thought the amount of bleeping in the episode was funny. Peanut Hamper has a dirty mouth. <laughs> Agreed. I love that. Um, especially when she's teaching the alien bird brains, you know, new words when she says the F word and they're like, excuse me. And she's like, Oh, that's just what we space people say when we're stranded on a backwater planet that 
with no hope of rescue. And he's like, oh, well, F indeed. I just thought that was very, very funny. Um, so what else do I have about this episode? I liked that. Um, I like that we got a little bit of a sort of a feel of the society of the Arior. I liked that we sort of got, you know, sort of into what their belief system is and their social structure is only a little bit, you know, but it's only a 24 minute episode. So I don't expect a whole lot, but it was nice that we got some. Um, and I, that's the kind of thing that I really enjoy in Star Trek. Um, and I thought that was really well done here. I would really like to see more. I would love to see more of these people. I would like to know where they go from here. Um, Elaine chimes in to say, also, I'm still not too sure about the love scene. That was a little weird. It was, it was so funny though. Um, and just the dialogue around that, that from both of them, from, um, from Rauda and from peanut hamper, it was <laughs> just hilarious. And I don't know if you noticed this, but, um, in the scene toward the end of the episode where they're actually getting married. And she has the veil over her face, quote unquote face. She's wearing like a fake beak. And I just think that's so hilarious that, you know, I don't know why that would be. I don't know if she's like buying into their or pretending like she's buying in or if that's, I mean, that can't be like a, a tradition of their people because anybody who would be getting married already have a beak. Um, but I would, uh, I, I love seeing a little bit of that and I would love to see more of them. And Elaine says, I would love to see them come back, maybe joining the Federation. And I can see that happening. I can see. And that's one of the things about, um, Rauda at the end of the episode where he basically is, uh, going to be leading these people into a new era where he's like, you know, we can live however we want to live. And, and I say, we reject fear. And I feel like this is a new beginning for these people. And maybe this whole experience with not only with peanut hamper, but with meeting the Federation is really going to lead them into a whole new era. It's going to lead them into a new age for their people, for their society. And yeah, I could absolutely see them um, not anytime soon, maybe next season, but even that might be too soon um, that they will come to, you know, join the Federation. And I think that would be really cool to see that process happen. Elaine also says, I love all the animals too. Flying pigs, flying goats, flying turtles. And of course the sky snake. <laughs> I loved that. I loved her peanut hampers reaction to that's just ridiculous. If everything has wings and why is it a sky snake? Why isn't it just snake? <laughs> but I really loved that. She used her abilities and her replicator technology and you know, really, I mean, I know it was done manipulatively, but um, I liked that she was a positive force in this in this community that she came in and she, you know, not with the best of intentions, but she saved people and she did good things and they all benefit from that, even though she was manipulative about it and she was doing it to set them up for something else i feel like that whole thing is still going to have an impact on them and you can see that at the end with rauda and his you know rousing speech about rejecting fear so yeah good one so that's about it for me that's all i can really think of to say other than i really loved it um so unless there's any last comments we're gonna we're gonna end the episode um, oh wait, there's one. Matt says, 
peanut hamper with a replicator and the ability to connect with any number of races is pretty powerful and dangerous. Exactly. And can you imagine had she actually got in touch with, oh yeah, there is one more thing I need to say. Um, that she actually had got in touch with the Borg. Can you imagine a Borg peanut hamper with all that Starfleet knowledge and technology and all that stuff that she has and that being assimilated into the, the collective? That would be really interesting. Um, but then at the end, she gets locked away in um, that that big, um, you know, the big, basically the jail for all the sentient um, megalomaniac computer things. And we get Agamus. Yes, I was so excited to see Agamus and, and to hear that amazing Jeffrey Combs voice coming from Agamus again. And now, so it looks like sequel because they are clearly going to be teaming up and um you know i see us doing great evil things together i'm so excited to see where that goes so maybe next season we're going to get the next chapter of agamus and peanut hamper um elaine says did you see the cbs logo on the one computer in the vault yes we saw that in season uh, when we first uh met agamus last year and he was locked in there we did see that already and i thought that was hilarious um Matt says, this kind of runs against the philosophy presented last season of Discovery, where they made an effort to present AI rights. Yeah, but, you know, um, that was way in the future, right? And so maybe, you know, part of what that comes from is whatever happens with not only the AI that we saw in Picard season two, one, one season one. Uh, but maybe we also get another little uh, look at that in um, wherever this storyline goes with peanut hamper and Agamus. So yeah, uh, very possible. So yeah, I was very glad to see Jeffrey Combs back. That was so cool. All right. So I think that's it for this week. Um, I am sorry that you had to listen to my dumb voice just rambling on for this entire time without the, the lovely and melodious tones of Chuck, Veronica, and Keith joining me. So hopefully next week um, I will have rescued my crew members from the evil Klingon slash Cardassian slash Kazon who have kidnapped them and we'll all be back together on our little starship traveling through the history of star trek and we will have a regular mission again so thank you all for joining me thank you for all the amazing questions that you gave me thank you for all the comments about this week's lower decks we will be back next week i assume we will be back next week um and so usually veronica gives us a closing so since veronica is not here i have a closing for us so i will say for the flock. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, 
your station for all things geek.